Agenda, your weekly source for cannabis-related news and informed discussion. We podcast for an hour every Monday covering topics related to cannabis legalization, medical marijuana, and market-related information. You can follow online with us at CannabisAgenda.com. And now, your hosts, Jamie Katz and Pod Reed. Oh my gosh, it's been quite a few... Uh... Quite a busy couple week, last few couple weeks in Oregon for sure. Um, a lot of new developments happening, uh, mostly very positive ones at that. But uh, initially, let's start out with let me see here. Call them up on my new big system. This from uh, ASA, Americans for Safe Access, a dedicated national organization for um, advocating uh, medical cannabis laws. So get on over to ASA's site and check them out if you want to. Uh, if you're interested, um, this is coming out of Portland, Oregon. Oregon became the latest state and the first in many years to officially reclassify marijuana from its status as a dangerous drug with no medical value. The Oregon Board of Pharmacy, the BOP, voted 4-1 to one today or um, last uh, week to move marijuana from Schedule 1 to Schedule 2. The Oregon BOP decision comes after many months of deliberation and input from the public. The Oregon legislature passed SB 728 in August of 2009, which directed the BOP to reclassify cannabis to Schedule 2, 3, 4, or 5. Although Oregon and 13 other states have adopted medical marijuana laws, marijuana has officially remained a Schedule 1 substance according to the federal government, and most states defer to that federal status. Under the Controlled Substance Act enacted in 1970, the federal government placed marijuana in a Schedule One classification with high potential for abuse and no medical value. Several attempts have been made to reclassify cannabis at the federal level. A petition filed in 2002 by the Coalition for Rescheduling Cannabis is the latest attempt and currently pending before Drug Enforcement Administration, DEA. You know, there's just a testament to the bureaucracy that we're forced to sludge through to get anything passed here. This was filed in 2002, and it's currently pending in 2010. Uh, The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services recently made its recommendations to the DEA, the final agency to review the petition, acting DEA Administrator Michelle Leonhardt, who still must be confirmed by the Senate, is the final remaining arbiter as to the rescheduling petition's fate. While such moves are more symbolic than practical, especially in medical marijuana states like Oregon, it does tend to reinforce the argument that marijuana has medical value. By law, the Oregon BOP has until tomorrow to implement the new rules. If you recall, in February, the Iowa Board of Pharmacy recommended the same change, but Oregon appears to be the first state to actually enact it. So marijuana still remains a Schedule One drug on the federal level, but we're, uh, we're changing things from within, it looks like. Okay, so here's what I got to say about Oregon. Uh-huh. If they're going to institute dispensaries, they need to do it right from the beginning. Just so that everyone knows, um, Matt and I live in California, and we have talked with hundreds of dispensaries and visited, I don't know, at least 50, I would say, and um, total and uh, throughout the state. So um, I've noticed a lot of things that are right and wrong about the system in California. And one of the things that's wrong with it is that they did not regulate it. They did not institute the like zoning laws and the rules properly from the beginning. So if Oregon wants to add dispensaries, they should put a lot of thought into it, how they want it to look. Because when you like go through California and you look at like Los Angeles in comparison to the San Francisco Bay Area, well, the Bay Area instilled their regulations from the beginning. And what does that equal? Well, they have 
their places are more professional. They feel more secure. They're nicer buildings. They have more knowledgeable staff. They do things way more professionally than most of the joints in LA. So if Oregon is going to move forward and institute this, I highly recommend that they put a lot of thought into it and they just don't open it up to anyone and everyone. Now I know that I've, you know, in the past I've been kind of a free market libertarian when it comes to this, but, um, I don't know. It, it seems like regulating it from the beginning is probably the best way to go. So, Absolutely. um, I'm glad they're, I'm glad they're moving in that direction. Cause I think that for consumers to be able to get high quality medicine and high quality can you know, out of cannabis, uh, it's it's the easiest to do when there is a store where they can go in and buy it, and and I do believe in that system. So, um, you know, hopefully they can work it out, work it out, Oregon, work that stuff out. Me too. Yeah. What's next on the agenda, yeah. brother? Yeah, fortunately, Oregon is one of the states that seems to deal with things in more sensible manner than some states. So hopefully things will work out for the best. Uh, additionally, in the news today, um, there's some more activity going on in Montana. Now they're uh, threatening to fine doctors for providing substandard care. Um, I don't know if you recall or are familiar with the story back in May 25th. Uh, a Helena newspaper reported that a Montana physician who saw about 150 patients over 14 and a half hours during the medical marijuana clinic last year will be fined $2,000 for, for providing substandard care, which was the first time a doctor in the States was disciplined in a cannabis-related case. Um, it's a Board of Medical Examination Examiner's action um, that followed a stern warning issued by the board to doctors who participate in the cannabis caravans. That's the uh, traveling cannabis, uh, medical cannabis clinics that travel around the state registering medical marijuana patients. The board cautioned those doctors not to let their standards of care slip, saying the mass screenings, and I quote, inherently tend towards inadequate standards of care. So, okay, so then the medical board needs to say, okay, so here's how many, pa okay, so if they want to do that, they should regulate it in the state of Montana, and they should say, if you're going to give medical marijuana, this is the procedure. You have to see the patient for this long. You can't just have, you know, um, whatever assistants see the patient. The doctor must see the patient. There must be this. There must be that. Um, right. You can't. I mean, if there's no standards of operation, how can you find people for violating a standard of operation that doesn't exist? Right. No, I mean, right. I, think, I don't know. In this case, the medical board of examiners is going by uh, established medical procedures, you know, and I have a really big problem with that whole thing. I mean, there's a, I believe that medical cannabis laws are, are put in place as a deterrent to people being harmed for using a natural non-toxic substance to alleviate pain or mitigate disabling circumstances. I don't necessarily agree with the way that we're trying to, or a lot of people are trying to push this into a legitimate, like pharmaceutical based medicine, because it's not that it's a natural plant that hasn't gone through the FDA process. And it, it, it we know for without any doubt that it mitigates a, a numerous a untold number of, of, um, of disabling circumstances. It helps a lot of people in a lot of very big ways. And uh, we're not, uh, we're not, you know, trying to go up against pharmaceuticals um, as far as their process of verification goes. We're not saying that. So, I mean, it, it, I think it's, it's detrimental for us to even frame things in that way, personally. But 
Yeah, I don't know. They're uh, they're still sorting things out there. Um, I heard a comment from some of the um, board members from the state of Montana that some of the doctors that were involved with bringing this legislation in initially they said they were fully behind it, but uh, there was a comment made. They said we thought this was going to be distributed through pharmacies to people that are dying. And I thought, well, how in the world did that individual get on a board, an executive board that makes binding decisions for their state? I mean, right. nobody ever, nobody ever in any way insinuated that that was going to happen. And, you know, well, that's. Well, and, and, and I mean, you lean towards it being more of a over the I mean, you know, over the counter type of drug, not like a prescription drug. Like you, you, right. you understand that you, you need the recommendation, but then beyond the rec- I mean, that's why it's not a prescription. You don't go to the doctor and get a prescription to use cannabis. They what recommend you that you use cannabis. Then it's up to you how you medicate with it, what you what type of cannabis you choose. I mean, you don't go to the doctor and they're like, "Yeah, you need uh, you need to be on a strict regimen of uh, 1.25 grams per. You need to at least smoke 1.25 grams of OG Kush per day. That will help you." I mean, this is a this is a self medicating sort of thing. It's not like, you know, you need to take two Valium every day to relieve this symptom or whatever. This is a way less toxic, more natural method of medicating yourself. So it's, it should be treated completely differently. Um, but, and and, and then, then, but then we, I mean, there's other issue with this too is, is realistically, I mean, we have to admit that, that medical marijuana, although a lot of people are using it, as medication, and there are a lot of people with multiple sclerosis, cancer, AIDS, glaucoma, chronic pain using marijuana. It also is somewhat of a loophole for people to use marijuana legally for recreational purposes. Don't you agree? I mean, I know you're right. You agree with that. Yeah, I think it, it undoubtedly is. I mean, we can't deny that that's happening. I don't know necessarily if that's a positive thing for the cause. Um, you know, I mean, like in this example with Montana, there was about... I don't know what was there. Um, maybe two, two thousand nine hundred and twenty-three um, registered patients a year ago, and this year there's fifteen thousand. So yeah. I mean, it it just booms, and and then when they go, I mean, that's that's perfectly possible. I believe that there's a hell of a lot more than that number of people that could benefit from cannabis, but uh, they. When, when, the, when the medical boards look at these things and when the, they investigate these things, they're finding out that, you know, this person has an ailment that is um, it meets a standard for using cannabis um, as, as medicinal treatment. And yet it took them six minutes or less with a doctor to get all this stuff panned out. But hold on. I mean, but cannabis is benign. Why can't you? I mean, why does it have to be such an issue? Why is it such a big deal? How come you can't be like, I have headaches. Okay, cool. Smoke some weed. It'll make you feel better. I think that's the point. I think because we're treating, you know what the difference is between the the, uh, prescription and non-prescription over-the-counter meds? It's it's a safety-based issue. And I think we're putting it in the prescription zone and it shouldn't be there. It should be in the -the over-the-counter zone and it just the only reason we need an exemption or laws that allow us to use cannabis for medicinal purposes in the first place is based on the you know well we consider draconian laws you know for for general recreational you know use of cannabis you know we're saying well wait look we'll we'll deal with those laws and we are we're not going to stop we're dealing with those laws separately but and you know my lettuce philosophy you know but uh we in, in in the meantime 
stop beating people over the head and incarcerating them and destroying their lives for getting using something that relieves serious issues, you know, medical issues in their lives. And I, I think that it's just it's not technically a classification, but the pseudo classification that a lot of people involved in both sides a lot of times in this of this argument or discussion, I guess. Um, are, are tend to place it somewhere in the pharmacy just because it's it's usable in a way that that works a better in a lot of ways and, and a lot of times a lot of instances than uh, pharmaceutical medication. So I think I think there's a yeah, confusion. but I mean I I think like when you're looking at the Montana you know medical board they're looking at it like it's a serious drug and you should take it so seriously you know yeah, like, like pharmaceutical. Right, like it's so potent and so strong, and it's doctors need to be so careful when they decide whether or not sh- someone should use cannabis. Um, I mean, you know, I think that's the problem is we're still moving out of that like era where people are like, oh, marijuana is bad, and now they're like, well, it's not good for everybody. You need to be careful with who can and can't use it. And I don't know. I mean, you know, I think that time and time again, information points towards, you know, the the fact that it's pretty benign and um, people should uh, be able to use it, you know? And so that's what these doctors are doing. Well, the doctors up there are motivated probably by money more than anything. Right. I mean, that's why it's better for them to crank out. How many patients did you say over a a 10 hour period? Like uh, what did they do? What was it that they got fined for? How many? She she saw, um, well, I don't have that information up in front of me, but there was a uh, hundred, uh, like 150 some patients, I think, something like in that. In like an eight-hour day or something like that. Like a sixteen-hour period. That's ten an hour. That's pretty normal for pot doctors, I would say, dude. That's pretty normal. And the reason they can do it is because, I mean, I, you know, in California and a lot of places, you don't even see the doctor. You see a, um, a physician's assistant, right. and um, you know, they, think- they they really really crank through them. So. Yeah, I think uh, yeah. a lot of the incentive here um, for the doctors is is literally money. I mean, if in a regular practice, they have to pay all these taxes and fees and all these things. Um, when it comes to approving or recommending medical marijuana patients, it's cash on the spot, tax free, and they yep. can make no insurance know. involvement, anything like that, no billing, no nothing. It's much more streamlined form of business for them. They make massive profits right. off of it, dude. Massive. And they can make a million bucks in no time doing that stuff. Well, I mean, it's and it's not like a a, a crazy um, medical operation where you have a ton of overhead. You don't have any medication. You don't have any stuff. You're never cleaning anything. You're never bandaging anything. All you're doing is taking a hundred bucks from every person that walks through the door. So literally they, they make a thousand dollars an hour probably to do this, you know? And like, um, that's, that's their incentive mostly is, is the, the moolah, you know? That's right. it. Yeah. I don't know though about providing substandard care. I mean, I, I think that if, if Montana wants to say things like that, they need to make they need to make the guidelines on the how, you know, medical pot is is uh, recommended for people. And um, and you're right, dude. They need to realize this isn't a prescription; it's a recommendation. It's uh, it's your choice on how to medicate with it. And uh, I mean, soon enough, a state will. I think we've been talking about one. I can't remember now. Maybe you'll remember. A state is gonna. Is it Iowa who's talking about selling their pot through pharmacies and stuff? 
Yes. Who, and yes, are they talking about doing it on a prescription basis or will it still be a recommendation? Like I can walk into a pharmacy and buy a gram of OG and buy a gram of, you know, like um, train wreck or whatever and then get some hash. I mean, what, how is it going to be? You know, did they, yeah. do you, did they spell that out in that yeah. or is it a prescription? They have not. I believe there's a lot of questions still uh, pending on there. That's why they have not enacted this yet. I think there's some legal hurdles as well. They don't know if they can legally even do that and uh i mean they're making some headway they reschedule it you know in their state officially um similarly to what oregon is do- has done but uh yeah there's uh th- this will be a telling uh process in iowa to f- help figure out what's uh, legal and what's not and i think it falls in, under the uh, the problems with the existing paradigm of, of mistreating cannabis as some sort of fda regulated pharmaceutical medication which it's not and was never intended to be i think just because it trumps a lot of those highly controlled and potentially dangerous medications in a, in a lot of cases then it's it's treated as you know somehow being I don't know. Be just it's guilty by association because it works and it's as formidable against uh, you know certain debilita- debilitating conditions. Then you know, unfortunately, it's it's supposed to be held to some sort of the same standard. Well, that's that's one of the many what we would loosely refer to as miraculous things about this this plant is that you know it doesn't need that. It's not necessary. It's non-toxic. It doesn't, you know, there's no, there's no realistic danger of death. I mean, if you get a stomach ache and get a little dizzy, you know that you pretty much OD'd and took too much cannabis. You know, you take a nap and then, you know, you're a little heavy-headed perhaps and that's it, <laughs> you know. So, I mean, yeah, I think we need to rethink this uh, paradigm as far as pro, uh, not just prohibitionist. I noticed that the prohibitionist uh, are, are, are more and more frequently utilizing this this type and, and calling uh, medical cannabis out on those on that basis saying we have our our country has one of the most rigorous uh qualification you know certification drug certification programs in the world you know and we're totally escape you know bypassing that and, and we call this medicine well i think they're framing it entirely wrong and i think that a lot of uh, proponents of policy reform and medical uh, cannabis um, legislation are are also guilty of doing the same thing. And I think we need to step back and check ourselves, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's kind of like, and we're inadvertently setting it for ourselves. We, we, we know that this is legitimate. I know in my mind and heart and from experience, and I know that you guys share the sentiment with me that uh, 100% that cannabis is beneficial. And, uh, So beneficial, I don't even think you should have to see a doctor to use it. I think, I mean, you know, it's a, uh, I think you should be able to use it however you decide you need to use it without any sort of recommendation, just like Tylenol or just like, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, uh, you know, and, or, or beer or whatever, you know, whether it's for recreational or medicinal purposes, you should be able to use it and regulate you know, your own titrations and, and, you know, how you medicate and whatnot, yeah. you know? I mean, it would be crazy if, if, if you, like, went to a doctor and they were like, yes, um, I'm going to write you a prescription. You need to, you know, you need to ingest a, a half of a gram a day. You need to grind it properly, and you need to smoke it properly out of your volcano. 
Um, and I would recommend that you take two hits every, you know, 45 minutes for this. Pan- I mean, it's never going to be like that, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And like the more and more that people kind of like start thinking that it will be like that, like regular medication, right. the further are we are away from liberation with, with, uh, marijuana. So, right. They're cruising down the rabbit hole and before long, they're going to look up and go, damn, where's our legitimacy in our whole active argument? And, you know, our, uh, yeah. our solid base that we're standing on. Yep, yep. That's a wild story. Montana mayhem. Yeah, about it. At least nobody's yeah. been firebombed in Montana this week. Crazy. Thank goodness, Mother Evers. Yeah. Jeez. I tell you what. Yeah, we'll keep them. Uh, we'll keep them in our sights and keep everybody updated on what's happening in the big state, uh, the big sky state of Montana. Now we're headed down to Missouri. Um, we've covered this uh, quite a few times. Um, police chief down there. Um, it's pretty interesting to speak about this guy because. He's kind of on both sides of the coin. Um, I tend to believe that when he speaks out uh, somewhat harshly or supports things that we may not agree with, it's primarily due to his position as a police chief and his sworn oath that he's kind of confused on how to deal with. He's he's in he's uh, intimated uh, on camera in interviews before that he's kind of uh, a little bit confused on how to implement certain laws or certain freedoms being a, a sworn you know police officer but there's more news from this guy and once again we have five steps forward and maybe a double backflip in the, in the wrong direction um, initially we'll take care of the bad news first so i always like to finish on a positive note on the bad side of the spectrum he has finished his report and i think this falls along the lines of protocol he's going by based on what protocol is set up for the swat team to do which we argue shouldn't even exist in the first place that's the problem but based on that criteria he has ruled in his uh, months, uh, several month long uh, investigation that the SWAT team in that infamous raid in Columbia, Missouri, acted appropriately. Um, I think that's, that's what the police chief said. He did. He did. He said they did. They acted appropriately. Um, yes. And I believe to clarify that, I think that uh, undoubtedly he's talking about under current SWAT team protocol, what they're supposed yes. to do and not do. He said, yes. they do. and that inherently is the problem is that that exists where they are expected to uh, behave in this manner and be considered appropriate action. It's uh, so, do you, so you let me clarify, Jamie, you don't think SWAT should exist at all. There should be no SWAT. Um, I think I think SWAT is a very very necessary uh, component to our law enforcement um, efforts in the in the nation, based exclusively on the LAPD model when they developed it. It is for imminent threat situations only. This would be the most massive. Oh my God, these guys are movie looking, scary M60 carrying people saying, look, man, I killed three of them. I'll kill the rest of them. If you don't give me my demands, you know, imminent threat. Monsters, wise guys, people that are going to kill you, drug gangs. And I, and I agree with you there. Like, I think that, that it needs to be used under certain circumstances. I've seen the circumstance. I've, I've kind of met some of the people that I would think might be violent in this business. And, um, you know, they might actually do crazy things. And we know that, we know that you know, uh, that there are violent people still involved in camps because it's illegal mostly. And, um, you know, like, I don't know. I don't, uh, 
absolutely oppose SWAT tactics in any way. I just think that you don't use them unless you know for certain that you're going into a situation that could get violent. And yeah. it's not just a fair generalization to say what these people have said in Missouri is, well, anytime we, you know, and this is what they said in Detroit too, anytime we go into a drug um, investigation, we consider it a high, you know, a highly, you know, sensitive case or whatever. So we're at our utmost, um, level of security or whatever, you know, we're using this protocol, which, you know, means shoot and kill. If you even think that something bad is going down, well, that's just not fair because 99.99% of people in the cannabis business don't even have guns. You know, I mean, they have no, they're going to stab you with their butter knife or something. I mean, you know, come on, like, like knock on the door and like ask if you can come inside and show them your warrant and be polite and nice and respectful. And, and like, I don't know, just investigate it a little bit more and look into it. I just, you know, I, I can totally see the, the proper use of SWAT being necessary, but the problem is, is with how they're using it, you know? So Yep, absolutely. Well, on the good note, on a good note um, to that aspect, that that portion of this this story, um, there is a new city board that's developed in Columbia, Missouri, to listen to cases like this. And I do believe they do have some power um, as well. They're vested with some power by the city, and uh, they are very eager. This will be their first case to listen to. So the the um, chief does have to go before them and present his findings, and they will rule on what they think is. Uh, um, accurate, and they will probably put him through the ringer, which, uh, you know, all in all, I, I really believe this is a pretty pretty strong guy. But here's a, another little uh, portion of this story that, that would lead me to believe this even stronger. Steve Silverman um, from FlexureRights.org, especially uh, if you haven't gotten there, especially go to visit that site. It's very, very uh, helpful to a lot of people. Um, he wrote me a little letter and told me that he was approached by Columbia, Missouri Police Chief Ken Burton, the police chief uh, that we're discussing here. The, poli- the chief called to ask his permission to use a new show called, a new movie that, they, uh, that Fletcher Wrights has came out with recently called 10 Rules for Dealing with Police as part of a department-backed public education campaign to inform the public of their rights. Enthusiastically, of course, uh, Mr. Silverman said, absolutely. Uh, Within weeks, a new report was released showing that in 2009, black motorists in Columbia were 127% more likely to be stopped than white motorists. At a public forum hosted by the NAACP and other groups concerned about racial profiling, Chief Burton put 10 rules to work. And uh, the Daily Tribune, the Columbia Daily Tribune, um, editorialized in favor of the event, specifically citing the 10 rules video. They wrote, State NAACP President Mary Ratcliffe Ratliffs called the video, quote, a powerful teaching tool for both sides and urged its wide distribution. It's uh, quite a coming together, uh, Silverman said. Ratliff has been critical of police in their confrontations with black people, and police have defended themselves in standoffs, typically without a mutually agreeable resolution. The video gives both sides a way to communicate outside the context of a traumatic incident and might help subjects avoid trouble with the police. So that's cool. I think uh, I agree with Steve when he says uh, the police department deserves credit for taking action to bridge the understanding gap. And Ratliff deserves uh, similar credit for responding positively. It's a big deal. And uh, as Mr. Silverman says, uh, I agree. I commend both parties. This is uh, pretty decent, you know. So uh, 
if you're interested in uh, getting this information to your your police department or your uh, regardless of their receptivity, I mean, you got to go out there and ask them if you want to find out how receptive they'll be to this. You might be surprised. You know, you might be able to get one of these ten rules of uh, dealing with the police videos to your to your to your cop shop, your local cop shop, and maybe educate people on both sides of the the fence about how to deal with police encounters. Right on, right on. At least something, you know, at least there's some movement made towards uh, changing their ways there. That's, a, that's, nice. that's definitely positive news, dude. Great news. You know, check this out. When I first read this story, I'm thinking, what? Who is this guy? Like Hugo Smelgenheffer from Yabaluba Valley, California, unknown act, you know, just some random activist. I'm thinking, well, I read through the story and I found out that, well, a lot of people might have heard of this guy before. Um, a California marijuana activist has filed a formal appeal, appeal to the Citizens Bo- Police Review Board regarding Police Chief Ken Burton's ruling that SWAT officers' actions during a controversial February raid were appropriate. The appeal is the first for the board, which has been authorized to accept appeals since January 1st. The letter, dated June 10th and received by Columbia Police last Tuesday, calls for an appeal of the investigation into the actions of an eight-member SWAT squad that raided, and I can't believe they put this gentleman's address on there. I am not going to repeat that. Living in southwest Columbia and fired shots, as we know, killing uh, a dog and injuring another one, mortifying a small seven-year-old child. Burton in May released the findings of his months-long internal investigation of the raid, which involved the shootings of those dogs, um, one fatally, of course. The discovery of a misdemeanor amount of marijuana was all they came up with. Um, The video of the raid obviously went viral. It's been viewed well over a million times now. Um, Investigators had believed a resident of the house Um, Jonathan Whitworth, the guy that's getting slammed over this whole situation, they believed he was in possession of a large amount of marijuana, just like they always believe. Um, Review board members over the weekend received copies of the internal investigation to review. Chairwoman Ellen Lacurdo Martinez said the topic will be discussed at the board's July 14th meeting and witnesses, including SWAT officers and Whitworth himself, could be called to testify during the board's interview sessions. They said, uh, obviously, um, we're excited because this is why we were created. We have been anticipating it and now we have it. It's time to do our job. We need to investigate what happened and whether we agree with the chief's decision, Lacurdo Martinez said. In his complaint, and this is the big kicker, in his complaint, Ed Rose, Rosenthal of Piedmont, California, said the shooting of a mixed-breed corgi during the SWAT raid was unwarranted because there's no evidence a small dog was a threat. Burton said his investigation found the corgi was accidentally shot when officers were attempting to shoot a pit bull, which was killed in the raid. That's the that's the sick, ailing, uh, pink sweater-wearing pit bull that was such a threat. Rosenthal also claims uh-huh. Whitworth comp- complied with officers and should not have been manhandled, which I believe most of the virile video viewers would agree with. If a civilian did this to another civilian, he'd be arrested for aggravated battery or assault said Rosenthal, director of Green Aid, a medical marijuana legal defense and education fund. He also wrote that there was no reason for a forced entry and questioned whether the SWAT procedure was, quote, out of bounds of civil procedure and should be reevaluated. Good for you. This is amazing. You know, anyone can file an appeal to a citizen-generated internal affairs investigation. Rosenthal said, although he does not live in Columbia, he thought it was his duty as an American to file the appeal. So, whoa, whoa. That's cool. Yeah, Ed Rosenthal, man. He's still standing in there. Thank you, brother. I'll tell you what. Keep it rolling. Keep it rolling. 
Well, we got a lot of stuff going on uh, moving over to the Midwest, uh, northern, more northernly Midwest. Um, a lot of stuff going on in Detroit, and the question uh, still looms. Will Detroit be okay? Will marijuana policy be okay in Detroit? Um, the Detroit City Council's Internal Operations Committee declined to vote on amending a city ordinance that would allow anyone 21 or older to legally possess less than one ounce of cannabis on private property. The issue is now headed to the Detroit Election Commission for approval of the ballot language. Advocated by the Coalition for a Safer Detroit, the group that successfully got medical cannabis placed on the ballot in 04, uh, which passed, the ordinance would amend Chapter 38 of the city code regulating controlled substances. Tim Beck, a registered medical cannabis user who filed the petition, says the amended ordinance would, quote, free up the police department to pursue cor- crimes with actual victims. Amen, brother. I, I agree with that 100%. Um, in 2009, he said there were 1,500 arrests for misdemeanor marijuana possession in Detroit. Beck's confident voters will pass the ordinance as they pass the medical marijuana ordinance in 04. He says, it's going to win. I have no doubt about that. So, Private decriminalization. We covered that last week. Yeah, there's. I, I imagine it'll pass too. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, I mean, because that's what happened in... in um, Denver is that they decriminalize up to an ounce possession, but then somehow exactly. it, it didn't end up working out because of state law. So there's, mm-hmm. there's like, there ends up being issues when it's not a, when it's just a city that does it. Yes. There are and, issues pending in Detroit that are similar actually. Yeah. So yeah. let's see how that rolls, man. In Speaking Illinois. Of, oh, Illinois. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Illinois. You got it. Well, this is something, um, you know, before we uh, move on, I, th- I believe we have a clip that was talking about these SWAT raids. Since since this uh, raid, there's been uh, 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 widely publicized uh, problems or instances that have occurred that were e- equally as egregious, more so even. Um, a small eight-year-old kid, a child was killed or shot in, uh, in Detroit. Was it in Detroit, Michigan, I believe? Um, there were uh, other raids that involved the wrong the wrong homes where um, uh, elderly people were living and they were so obviously freaked out, surprised and scared to death by these raids and getting violently thrown to the floor that uh, it initiated heart problems, serious heart, heart problems. Um, And recently um, there's also been another instance with a dog. And I think we have that clip before we move on to uh, the next story. Cogs, we have that thing. Yeah, we sure do. Uh, She's queued up here. Yeah, let's listen to her. Check this out. A 62-year-old grandmother is mad and grieving after police shot and killed her 13-year-old dog, Wrinkles. You can see all the bullet holes, about eight bullet holes, all up and down the steps, bullets everywhere. Marietta Robinson says officers showed up with a search warrant for drugs in relation to her 28-year-old grandson, and she let them in her house under one condition. I asked his permission. May I put my dog in the bathroom or in the backyard? He said, go ahead and put in the bathroom. We're not going to hurt her. But Wrinkles was killed anyway after an officer opened the bathroom door. They started shooting the dog, and I screamed, and I backed up, and I went around this way, and I said, please don't shoot him. Police say the dog attacked an officer. Robinson says officers even used her water cooler after killing her dog. They washed their hands in my drinking water. Robinson says the shooting never had to happen because her grandson hasn't lived in her home for 12 years. My grandson couldn't he come in here because he hasn't lived in here so long. My dog don't know my grandson. We looked through the whole 
incident. Police are investigating to see if any policies were violated. They can't bring me my dog back. I don't want no apology. They need to be fired and get somebody on the job that know what they're doing. Robinson says police told her they found bags with drug residue inside. She says they're fortune cookie wrappers. Myra Lopez, the Associated Press. Hmm. Fortune cookie wrappers. Oh, what do you think about that? I, I believe it. I believe it. Yeah. You believe that they were fortune cookie wrappers, or do you believe that? Absolutely. Yeah. Do you also concur that they should probably fire those guys and find somebody who knows what the hell they're doing? <laughs> I, well, maybe. I, I, I don't know if I don't know if they know what they're doing or not, but sure, they shouldn't have shot her dog. Yeah, especially not after telling them, "Hey, look, we've you know openly communicating with her about it and saying, look, you know, we're not going to hurt your dog. Just put him in the bathroom; he'll be safe." That's uh. That's arguably worse than the other dog that got shot in the in the viral video from Columbia, Missouri. I mean, at least they, they got to actually talk about it first and then make an agreement that everything would be safe. Look, we're here for other purposes. We're not going to harm your dog. Put it away and it'll be safe, okay? And then look what happens. Ugh. More more wonderful stories about, uh, you know, tactical raids. Um, moving up to Illinois, there's a... Uh, a, a huge bust just recently happened in Cook County, Illinois. Cook County is one of the most populated counties in the U.S. It's cal- incalculable how much weed is smoked and sold in that one county alone on a daily basis. This story is coming from uh, Joe Claire from the 420 Times, by the way. Um, but a, a huge chunk was taken out of the Cook County marijuana supply on, Wednesday, on a, a week ago Wednesday night. Over 5,500 pounds were seized by the Cook County Sheriff's Department. They estimate the 224 bales of cannabis to be worth about $20 million, making it one of the largest busts in county history. The cannabis was allegedly smuggled into the country from, you guessed it, Mexico. Now, that's not the end of that story, though. Um, The sheriff is really burned a lot of activists by announcing his plans to incinerate this cannabis um, not everyone, this story from Ivana Hampton from uh, NBC Chicago, she writes, not everyone is high on the idea of burning 5,500 pounds of seized pot. Incinerating it is a waste, said Lisa Lang, who smoked cannabis to ease her degenerative osteoarthritis symptoms. Um, authorities found this uh, in a house on 47th West Street in Southwest Suburban Lions Wednesday, and the drug stash has the reported value of about 20 million bucks. The Cook County Sheriff's Department will ask for a court order Monday to burn the marijuana, um, except for 10,000 grams they need for evidence in this trial. 10,000 grams. So, well, yeah, that's a lot of evidence. So what do you think about this idea? I mean, I don't really, I think me and Kaiser were, were talking about this briefly before the show, and uh, we agreed that we don't really think that that would have a high potential to have any kind of medicinal value in the first place, being as how it's cartel. Uh, well, there was, I mean, I, there was a huge, dude, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, it probably is not even, I mean, how, how much was it? It's probably a bunch of seeded Mexi weed that came over the border, dude. That's my guess. It is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, you know, luckily, uh, uh, that, I mean, it was only cannabis. I know they just busted a huge truck down in Southern California, I believe, in Ventura County. I don't have the story, but something like 36,000 pounds of weed and, like, a bunch of coke and like other mm-hmm. drugs with it. I mean, these are, you know, they're still because of where we are, unfortunately in our legal stance, there's still, still a bunch of cartels running around. I don't personally care if they burn all that, all that pot. I don't, I don't like the fact that 
a lot of the money goes to drug gangs and, and, and right. violent people, dude. Um, right. you know, um, you know, do they need to make a huge public display out of burning a bunch of dope? Uh, right. I think, I don't think that's necessary. I More mean, drug war hype. Yeah, that's totally unne- unnecessary. No, yeah. It's typical reporting about these type of instances. They don't, they don't tell the whole story, which would read something hypothetically would read something like this. Um, Recently, 5,500 pounds of cannabis was seized by the, the vigilant police officers protecting our lives and safety. Meanwhile, 47,562 pounds got freely to its destination. You know, right. they, don't, they don't ever tell that. You know, that's a day's you know, activity going on there. So, right. you know, and in other news, a man in Bloomington, Illinois, can't find an eighth of good weed. Yeah, yeah, that's the true story. What the hell is wrong with that? Right? I mean, you know. Uh, We've got a heads up for the folks out in Colorado. There's a gubernatorial hopeful, uh, Scott McGinnis, uh, Republican gubernatorial candidate Scott McGinnis, if elected, would ask President Barack Obama to reexamine lenient federal policies on Colorado, Colorado's burgeoning medical marijuana industry. The Obama administration in 2009 ordered federal officials to respect state marijuana statutes when they conflict with federal laws outlawing the drug. The change led to explosive growth in Colorado marijuana businesses, which McGinnis said to Thursday is cause for concern. And I quote Mr. McGinnis as saying, if I was governor, I would call the president and say, what are you doing? McGinnis said after a Colorado Springs event Thursday, McGinnis was in town to pick up endorsements from the Colorado Springs Police Protective Association, District Attorney Dan May and El Paso County Sheriff Terry Makeda. McGinnis, a former police officer, has burnished his crime fighting image in recent weeks as he battles through a GOP primary with Denver businessman Dan Mays. McGinnis has proposed immigration policies for Colorado similar to those enacted this year in Arizona, where police are now authorized by state law to check the immigration status of suspected undocumented immigrants. Now McKinnis is wading into some of the state's most contentious waters, medical cannabis. So keep your eye out for this guy. If you're wanting to protect your rights as, as you know, um, related to medical cannabis law, this is definitely not the dude to put in place. I'm not trying to give you advice, voting advice necessarily, just telling you that's a heads up. That's what this guy believes in. He wants to put the brakes on, on medical cannabis in Colorado. Yeah, nice try. They're a little nice. too far. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they've done a little too much. I don't think they can. Uh, it's going to be hard to put the brakes on cannabis yeah. in Colorado. They're, they're moving forward, steamrolling. Right. Steamrolling. Yep. They're rolling, rolling, rolling. In the most unlikely of places, uh, Florida, a Florida group seeks, seeks to decriminalize marijuana. Um, this in Miami Beach, uh, pro-marijuana activist backed by the director of the Cocaine Cowboys documentaries are pushing to decriminalize cannabis in Miami Beach. Miami Beach voters could cast ballots for Mary Jane come November should a budding effort to decriminalize marijuana possession in the city gain traction. In front of City Hall uh, a week, two weeks ago, Wednesday evening, the Committee for Sensible Marijuana Policy announced a drive to gather signatures in support of a proposed amendment that would make personal possession of marijuana in Miami Beach a civil code violation punishable by a mere fine. They quoted, uh, we're empowering local government to deal with this differently, said Floyd Bannister, the group's chairman. Bannister hopes to put the proposal before the city's, city's voters in November. 
we'll see uh see how that goes florida notoriously if you think we have uh uh draconian you know over-the-top cannabis laws go to go to florida and see what you think <laughs> yeah man get some of that neon weed that neon yeah, weed that's one scary place yeah over, totally. in, uh, over in the stream uh northeast corner of the country uh portland maine um portland Counselors have rejected a temporary ban on pot dispensaries um, in the news lately. There had been a, a story about them uh, proposing to uh, continue, extend a, a moratorium, a six-month moratorium on cannabis dispensaries. The city will not delay the opening of a medical marijuana dispensary should one apply to do business there. Um, city Council on Monday unanimous, unanimously rejected a proposed moratorium on the facilities, which the city attorney drafted to give the city time to come up with zoning to regulate the dispensaries. The moratorium would have stalled dispensary applications that reach City Hall until December. Instead, the council approved a preliminary proposal by Councilor Dave Marshall to limit dispensaries to downtown and also areas in the city's business zone. The business zone consideration was proposed by Councilor Dan Skolnick. The council sent the proposal to the planning board for review, and it will eventually come back to the council for final approval. And uh, no... No specific date was uh, set. John Elder, a former state legislator from the West End, told the council it was embarrassing that the city was considering a moratorium. Quote, 75% of voters in Portland were in favor of this, said Elder. And uh, that should spell They don't that. work, dude. They don't work. Here's what happens during a moratorium. You, you put a moratorium on and people start opening the dispensaries anyway. And then they do it without your – I mean, it's, it goes back to the problem of figure out your regulations from the beginning. And Because, right. uh, I mean, it, you know, in California, all these areas have set up moratoriums. A lot of them now have dispensaries open with tobacco retailer business licenses and herbal supply mm-hmm. business licenses and all that shit, you know, and sure. like – then you have this issue of like retroactively enforcing regulations upon them, zoning regulations, license problems, this, that. How do you find them? Do you arrest them? What do you do? I mean, it's just, you know, the moratoriums just don't work. People keep on opening the dispensaries because they feel like they have the legal right to do so, which they do, but they're not following, you know, the proper, like, or the proper, like, like, for instance, zoning guidelines haven't been set forth for them. If you set it, if you set these things out, at first, then there's no question about whether or not you, you know, what you can and can't do. So, right. So I'm to- just not a big fan of the moratorium. I don't think that it works for, for dispensaries. I think it actually makes things worse. Yeah. So. I think it mucks it up and it confuses a lot of people and it causes a lot of pain for people that start using cannabis for medicinal purposes and all of a sudden everything shuts off and they're going, what in the world is going on around here? That story, by the way, was from the forecaster local newspaper there and uh, author Kate Kate Buckland. So we appreciate that contribution. Uh, moving over to, back to the the center of our nation in the heart of the Midwest, uh, Des Moines, Iowa, medicinal marijuana ha- uh, issue has hit a roadblock. The future of medical cannabis in Iowa is uncertain after a legislative leader in the state's pharmacy board set, said it is up to the other to move forward on the issue. So they're saying it's your move and they're saying, no, 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 it's your move. And it's back and forth to, uh, you know, 
I guess, uh, stalemate as a result. The pharmacy board voted unanimously in February to recommend that marijuana be allowed in Iowa for medicinal use. Oh, I'm just glad that I'm loading my bong right now without uh, anybody telling me specifically that I, you know, had to do it or um, had to do it this way. I mean, you know, I, you know, yeah. I don't Man. Let's oh. go out to the uh, island paradise of Hawaii, where it's uh, not so paradisial right now as far as their cannabis laws go. Um, pot eradication is continuing out there in Hawaii. Um, rage netted 1,821 plants on Windward Big Island. Helicopters took to the skies uh, a couple weeks ago, Monday um, through Thursday, for marijuana eradication, police said. Monday... We seized and eradicated a total of 1,302 plants from seedlings to five feet in height from fern acres, Hawaiian acres, and orchard land, said Lieutenant Richard Sherlock of Hilo Vice Section. Tuesday, it was, a, it was just a morning mission. It was a total of 519 marijuana plants from seedlings to 10 feet. Ooh, some nice sativa in Hawaii. Can you imagine? Well, oh, flowers all year long, dude. Have you ever looked at the um, – I mean, it's a really weird situation. I believe that if you throw a plant outdoors in Hawaii, it's going to flower. So you okay. want to have a sativa because it's going to stretch enough even just through the flowering phase to be a big plant. You know, weed flowers all the time. If I'm wrong, please send us an email from Hawaii if there are any of you guys out there and let us know if that's if that's accurate or not. But uh, as, as far as I know, it just basically starts flowering as soon as it goes outside there. So, um, yeah. Whoa. What's Absolutely. up, man? Yeah, man. the uh, the uh, DEA's domestic cannabis eradication and suppression prog program is what's going on out there in Hawaii. And the D, this, this DA program gave the State Department of Land and Natural Resources 475,000 big ones to help. Well, so I used to travel and backpack on Hawaii. And um, from what I understood, the way that their system works there, their, their outdoor detection system is it's way advanced in comparison to most states. Um, it basically takes an image uh, like a helicopter flies around and takes images of, of you know, uh, vegetation and the um, thermal read, like the you know the thermal reading of plants then detect it shoots a signal up to a satellite and then shoots a signal back to a computer and then based mm-hmm. off of the geometry that's read of the leaves by the thermal imaging. It detects where patches are through through technology, um, so it's not like dudes fly around there and they just like look for pot. It's like they're told where it is by computer, um, which is totally crazy. And I wonder if it's true. I wonder if that's actually true. If you're out there in Hawaii, please, yeah, we we need some need some Hawaiian feedback because uh, otherwise Matt and I are going to have to take a uh, a trip to Hawaii to check things out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Aloha <laughs> from from a black sand beach with islands right off, with uh, uh, you know with dolphins right off the shore. Uh, we're coming to you live <laughs> with the cannabis agenda. Sounds like a good idea, guys. A vacation. Episode. I don't think we're there yet, but uh, maybe someday we can put that in the budget. An in, in investigative journalism story on high tech pot eradication. 
Right. Yeah. Maybe someday we can just have a budget. That would be uh, that'd be cool. <laughs> uh, what's what else is going on on the agenda here for? Well, in California, there's some good news. The full assembly um, to hear SB 1449 on June 22nd. The California Assembly uh, Public Safety Committee approved Senator Mark Lino's bill SB 1449 by a margin of four to one. SB 1449, which would reclassify possession of under an ounce of marijuana from a misdemeanor to a civil infraction, passed the California Senate, as we reported, on June 3rd by a margin of 21 to 13. So please call your assembly member and seek her or his approval and support, or support rather for this bill. Um. <clears throat> oh, man. Um, I got a story from Britain. Um, yeah, what's going on? Big pharmaceutical companies backed marijuana spray as a mess. And this is a story from Paul Armentano. Uh, and uh, what, uh, what's going on is uh, British health regulators have approved the sale and marketing of Sativex, an oral spray consisting of natural cannabis extracts, primarily THC and CBD. Um, it's used as a treatment for symptoms of multiple sclerosis. The spray, which has been legally available to patients in Canada since 2005, went on sale in Britain on Monday. The drug will be marketed in Britain by the Bayer Corporation, which estimates that Sativix will cost the country's state-run National Health Service roughly $16 a day for each patient. Uh, in clinical trials, Sativix has been demonstrated to reduce MS-associated spasticity, pain, and incontinence. Long-term investigational trials indicate that consistent use of the cannabis-based medicine may also slow the prog progression of the disease. Um, so we're talking about uh, this this um, this drug. It's it, later this year. They're talking about pushing it into Spain, France, Germany, and Italy. A marijuana-based extract drug. So all they're doing. This isn't where they're synthetically making. THC like Marinol, they're extracting this drug from marijuana, and uh, um, they are. This is Bayer, someone who sells drugs in the United States, um, and they're pushing it all throughout, you know, Canada and throughout uh, Europe. Um, uh, and they, they, uh, I mean, this is this is a, you know another another piece of you know proof showing that that marijuana in fact has legitimate medical you know, it helps, it helps people with, with their health issues and, and, uh, specifically MS. So, um, right. yeah, so that's, uh, that's, you know, that's interesting news to see that kind of yeah. stuff. And, yeah. And it's important. I think that the, the most important part of Sativex is that it, it, it includes the whole plant in all of the various constituents in cannabis. We know that uh, medicinally, it's not necessarily the THC that does most of the help. It's it's the the various cannabinoids, other cannabinoids that are in cannabis. So we'll see. Yeah, interesting yeah. news. You know why did why did, why does Canada have this have, have had this approved for so long? before anybody else has stepped up and said, hey, you know what? That makes I don't sense. know. I don't know, man. I just, I think people don't really pay attention to Canada, though. Like, no one takes Canada seriously. <laughs> I mean, I, we probably have some Canadian listeners, and I'm not trying to stab at you. I'm just, you know, like, that's like, like, people don't take Canada seriously. I mean, right, they're like our little brother. It's like, oh, they're real nice, and they're they're cute, but, but you know, this they're just a little brother. I don't know. It's, it's weird like that. <laughs> and I don't know why they've, you know, why it's been there and we haven't heard of it or anything. And, and I don't know why the U S government is like 
tried so hard to just have blinders on to what's going on all over the world. It just just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any damn sense, man. What do we got left here? Man, that's a big show today. Uh, oh, Rhode Island. Yeah, I'd love to share this one with everybody. This is some good news. I always like to finish the news on a, on a high note, pun intended. Um, this one from uh, Mike Mino of uh, MPP. Um, two two actual good things uh, happening in uh, in Rhode Island. Last week, the Rhode Island uh, state legislature appro- legislature approved a critical piece of legislation designed to protect the confidentiality of physicians who recommend medical marijuana to patients. Now, I know this is uh, this is nationwide. This is a very big concern. So I hope this is kind of a president setting event here. Um, the bill was introduced. After the names of 335 physicians had been leaked to the Providence Journal by a Department of Health staffer and several doctors whose identities were disclosed testified that they were no longer comfortable recommending medical cannabis to patients, even when it might be the best course of treatment. So what do you think about that one? That's uh so they're not comfortable. Um, they're not, the the right. doctors are saying they're not comfortable recommending cannabis anymore right. because they don't feel protected. Is that why? No, no, no. It's because of the stigma and the negative connotations still, unfortunately, uh, and wrongfully, obviously, associated with medical medical cannabis use. And, you know, a small percentage of their patients will be medical cannabis users. And then they have this huge other patient base that doesn't use it. And among them, there's a lot of people that think it's wrong or, you know, will, will think things negatively about the physicians and they're just not willing to, to risk their practices due to the stigmas that are still attached to, to medical, okay. medical cannabis. And there's a lot of doctors that are like that. I, my personal, my doctors um, have indicated to me in our conversations, I've noticed that they seem open to it. They seem compassionate. They seem uh, more than just compassionate. They, they seem open. Uh, open to the realities of how cannabis can help. And I know that they trusted me when they asked me, what's worked? What have you done that's worked? And I told them, one thing has worked. Cannabis has worked. And then they were, they were receptive to that. But they said, you're not getting that here because it's in Illinois and it's illegal. But beyond that, I said, you know, we're working on changing the laws. And if it gets changed, you know, there might be different possibilities for us to explore. And, and they were just... They were really kind of like, you know, I don't know about this, that kind of reaction. And you could tell they were just they didn't know how to deal with it. It just they're very uncomfortable with uh, with this new idea. I mean, it, it does it does run contrary to the way that they typically do things with the FDA approval processes and all the different, you know, medical uh, regulations and so forth. And, you know, doctors just it, there's going to be a beyond a learning curve i think there's just going to be a period of adjustment where they're going to have to get used to to cannabis as uh, an alternative that's acceptable so yeah sure well i mean you know if if this is where you know regular physicians are this is why in most mm-hmm. states with medical marijuana you don't go to your regular family physician for your recommendation. You go to a pot doctor of sorts, someone that is over that. And like we were talking about earlier in the show, um, believes in cannabis and is willing to just make a whole lot of money um, giving people recommendations for cannabis and doing that only. Meaning, you know, there's a lot of the pot doctors out there, they, they see cannabis patients only. That's all they do all day long. They don't see someone else that comes in and is like, oh, my shoulder really hurts. I need Vicodin. 
That's not right. what they do. You know, I, have, they I don't, don't see someone who's like, yeah, yeah, they don't like, doctor, I, I got something itchy down there and it feels real moist. They, they don't, you know, like they don't deal with that. They deal with people that come in and, and they're like, you know, I uh, have headaches or uh, I have MS or I have AIDS or I have chronic pain in my knees from all these surgeries. And um, I think smoking pot's the best thing for me to do over taking a bunch of medication and they mm-hmm. give them a brief, you know, uh, look over their medical history in some cases, not in all, and then they recommend that the, the, those patients use marijuana. And so uh, I imagine, you know, I mean, I know Rhode Island is about the size of a spitball, but um, uh-huh. I, I would imagine that, that um, sooner or later there will be just regular pot doctors in Rhode Island. And I think that the reason why is uh, the reason why it's probably like that is probably because of what you said everywhere. Probably even in California, most regular doctors don't recommend cannabis to their patients because they don't want the reputation of being a pot doctor. You know, right. yeah, they're worried um, about some sort of negative fallout. You know, right. So <laughs> I, I would imagine that this is in line with every other state that's got medical marijuana, and uh, you know. Um, you know, hopefully, hopefully there'll be some 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 people out there that are that you know some doctors in, in not Vermont in Rhode Island that are um, willing to uh, jump in jump in and get their feet wet in the um, cannabis recommendation field. And if they do, it'll be very profitable for them. Right, and I and I hope that's the case. And it may very well likely be the case in Rhode Island because they are very positive. Actually, passage of the bill of this bill, um, which is set to become law, will mark the fourth time that Rhode Island has passed positive medical marijuana legislation. In fact, uh, the state just took another critical step in expanding its medical marijuana law further when it, uh, it held a public hearing for applicants to open the, first, the state's first nonprofit compassion center, which uh, will provide qualified patients with safe access to their meds. So uh, that's awesome. You know, Rhode Island's approved uh, opening up to three uh, compassion centers because, you know, their size, like you said, the spitball thing, but uh, no offense, Rhode Island. And the first licenses are expected to be issued in a, a, probably about a month. So, man, go Rhode Island. Rhode Island. All right. Yeah. Cool. This is on the agenda, brother. Mm. Well, this one just for fun, uh, mostly. The uh, High Times, uh, you know, infamously held uh, the Cannabis Cup competition in uh, Amsterdam um, just recently uh, this year actually um, they, they held the first in uh, San Francisco they held the first High Times Medical Cannabis Cup and I understand it was uh, a complete blowout that was just packed full of people um, all kinds of cannabis products all kind of med products um, a lot of competitions going on um, I have some of the winners I'll read down um, the sativa category, green bicycles won um, with a with strain. I I don't know what to think about these names sometimes, but uh, they won with a strain called God's Pussy. God's <laughs> I guess that pussy. was a, Jesus yeah, Christ I guess. and God's Pussy. <laughs> yeah, you have to hear uh, hear people talking about it on the forums. It's just bizarre, you know. God's <laughs> Pussy's great. I love God's Pussy. It's like, oh my gosh, I've never had you know. any of God's Pussy before. So I've now had some try good to pussy. sell those. 
Try to sell that to some of the skeptical doctors. That'll help. Uh, <laughs> they li- and, uh, <laughs> if, they, if they like pussy, they'll definitely like God's pussy. <laughs> sure, sure. They're God-fearing, and they love a little snatch now and then. Oops, sorry about that. The, uh, the second place for Sativa, the Green Door San Francisco, uh, from San Francisco, uh, one with Candy Jack and uh, an old favorite, um, the Purple Lotus Patient Center, brought in an old standard uh, Durban poison, got the third place in Sativa. And the Indica category, number one, was from Mitchard, uh, Mr. Natural Incorporated, Cali Gold, um, Elemental Wellness got second place in the Indica category with True OG, and third was Tahama Herbal Collective with Bubba Kush. Man, I've, it's it's crazy. I've heard of I've I'm aware of all these except the first place Sativa one. That's kind of new to me, but um, it, they had a competition for concentrates. Um, Leonard Moore Cooperative won with Ingrid. Um, Phillips RX got second place with Hero Herowana. Um, Seven Stars Holistic Healing Center got third with uh, Granddaddy Purple Wax. And they had an edibles category with uh, Greenway Compassionate Relief winning first place with Biscotti. Man, that sounds good. The edibles is hard to read, man. It makes me hungry. Um, yeah. Metathrive got second place with Bliss Edibles Truffles. Doesn't that sound awesome? The Hampton Collective, uh, Totally Baked Medibles Tincture. And these things, from what I understand, were all available to people to sample and, and try them out. So, man, can't wait. I, I'm really hopeful of being there. We should all do a live, maybe a live show or some kind of a... When um, was it? Feature. Um, when did this actually happen? I, I don't know. Two weekends ago? Yeah, well, I how, did we, how did we miss that? I have no idea. Well, I do have an idea. I missed it because I'm eyebrow deep in, in coursework and stuck in Illinois. And you guys missed it because you guys were very, very busy taking care of some stuff. I think you were out of town at the time. Yeah, but I mean, we still should have heard about it. How come we didn't even hear about it until afterwards yeah, is, is what that I'm part, wondering. I really have no idea. It's bizarre that we could a- actually even have a chance of missing something like this. But Dude, We need our <laughs> listeners to make sure to send us uh, – uh, invites to these things, please uh, join join our Facebook group or something and post invites for all these events because it's uh it's kind of crappy for us to miss out on these things at least miss knowing about them so that we're covering them and uh you know we're absolutely quick, you know, and, and so. you know get it going to them and enjoying them that helps too and of course mm-hmm. just in the in the interest of covering them but uh yeah, there's uh, several other comp- uh, competitions happen there. Um, the ex- they had an expo booth competition for who had the best expo booth, which is really actually now we're getting to the really beneficial part for uh, patients to see uh, Humboldt Patients Resource Center won first place in that one. In what? So in what one? Expo booth. So I guess their ex- exposition, their booth that they set up was uh-huh. um, the bomb, evidently. So um, there was uh, oh. actually they t- they tied actually with. Uh, CMAS uh, uh, glass um, in Green Door. Uh, oh, actually, that's not true. The second place was a tie. I'm sorry. CMAS um, glass and Green Door um, tied for second. And Stealth Grow LEDs won third. And uh, it's interesting. Um, they had a product category, and there was a tie for first place. Stealth Grow LEDs also won uh, in a tie with Essential Vape H20 Eclipse um, for the products. So that's pretty cool because. Uh, I was commenting before that I think uh, if they can finally figure out a way uh, to get LEDs to work right, that's just going to be the biggest product in cannabis for decades. You know, I have you know? I have a little bit of experience with with these things, and it, I'll, I'll be it a couple of years ago. And um, 
I think for maybe a small closet grow, they might be a really good product, which sounds like the stealth grow. It sounds like that might be what they're aiming for, the market they're aiming for. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think watt, for, here's, didn't, this, didn't you find that per watt, it did better, but n- per cubic no, inch, no, I mean, you, per square foot, it did worse? No, I found that in both cases, uh, it oh. performed worse than... I. What I had was... Um, uh, Geez, I don't even remember the brand, um, but it was 120 approximately watt LED that was supposed to replace a 400 watt HPS. Right. And so I, I, put, it, I put it head to head right next to one. I put a dividing wall in the center so no light would cross, um, but uh, both watt for watt and square foot for square foot, the HPS um, okay. outperformed I, the LED. I, I thought that the watt per watt, it did better because it was only 120 watts, but it ended up mm-hmm. doing better with the, 400, the regular 400. Huh? Mm-hmm. Okay. What do you think um, would have happened if you would have made it nearly a cube, like if you'd had LEDs on top and then on the four sides? It would have been very expensive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Um, yeah. LEDs. They might be good for clones, but probably not for your flowers. Maybe. I mean, for, for someone in uh, uh, Missouri, not that they should do anything illegal, um, but, you know, sure. who has a plant growing in their closet, uh, it, might be, it might be the perfect light. Uh, they, they're very low yeah. heat, so you don't need much ventilation at all. Hopefully, if they've increased the... Uh, um, effectiveness of these things you know somehow they are I don't know leds are getting no perfect. nothing but better i'm sure yeah, but how could that how can you make an led that much stronger though i mean we've been using led technology now for a long time with those headlamps and whatnot oh and no things these are, things are getting better and better like now they have now they have single leds that you can pump five watts into which is that's a lot of power for a single led and they they are bright mofos yeah. Awesome. yeah. So they're right. getting just, better every day. Every day. Okay. It's just what the doctor ordered for uh, states that do not have any kind of legislation right now. Um, it, you know, it, as far as, you know, just trying to not get in trouble for something that you're not hurting anybody for, not advocating that somebody breaks the law by any means. But, you know, it's 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 really a big concern for people and in, in any state for that matter, really. Um, the, the power output, you know, and the silly... Uh, you know, the, they do the infrared and or they can see the lights and all those problems that go along with it, security issues. And, the, and you know, it's it's perfect, like you said, for, a, you know, just a little closet personal grow. Here, this brings up a really interesting issue real quick. Let's jump on this for a minute. Indoor see. versus outdoor growing. OK, there is this belief. I don't know if we've even talked about this on the show before, but there's this belief that indoor weed is better than outdoor weed. And yeah. I don't know. I think it's I, conditioning. I, I think that we, first of all, we need to explain to everybody why we grow marijuana indoors. Obviously, we grow it indoors right. because it's been illegal for so long, and we just, like, didn't want to put it out in our yard or in a field or farm it in a huge greenhouse when we were scared to death of the laws. So we brought it indoors and started growing indoors. As it becomes more and more legal, Hopefully, we start moving away from indoor weed because it is a, there's like Matt. We've talked about it a bunch. There's no way to grow weed indoors in a green manner. You can't do it sustainably. The amount of resources it takes to grow weed indoors is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It's like processing. It's like manufacturing any sort of large thing. It, it, it requires tons and tons of resources. Marijuana grown outdoors 
can be as good, if not better, than marijuana grown indoors, especially marijuana grown in, in, in greenhouses. I've seen it with my own eyes. Um, guys that grow outdoors and have been doing it for 30 years, and at the beginning of at the beginning of harvest season up here is when you see the very best pot in Humboldt County, and it's all outdoor or greenhouse weed. Since and I'm... I mean, you see stuff that that you I, I you know like I see stuff right after harvest that that there's nothing that compares for the rest of the year as good of indoor weed as you see. It's just not mm-hmm. it's not as big, it's not as chunky, it's not as consistent in size or di- density, and the crystal content on you know the THC content on on outdoor and greenhouse weed is 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 high especially and, uh, the greenhouse man if, when you can keep the wind and the rain off of off of your plants like that but still give them the benefit of the full sun mm. oh yeah and i know and then you don't have like all see outdoor what you get is is you get like a bunch of dirt and you get a bunch of wind that blows like um grasses and different things into the pot it, you get like you know dandelion fluffiness blown into it and everything like that you have all sorts of things in the pot actually so in in a greenhouse you get to keep all that off of it and uh it works really really well i mean but I said that even some outdoor pot, <laughs> even stuff grown right under the sun um, in a really good environment um, can be as good as outdoor weed. And if you talk about efficiency, like environmental efficiency, greenhouse and outdoor blow indoor out of the water. I've got, in and, fact, I've, uh, NPR did a story, and if, if you guys have four minutes and 45 seconds, we can listen to it, um, about yeah. the environmental cost of growing pot just this past weekend. Yeah, check it out. I think we'll, let's check it out. Support for NPR oh, we gotta listen to comes their, uh, from Chase. Chase. Introducing Inc., Pre-roll. the new line of business of course, cards from Chase. There's no advertising on NPR, is there? Chase.com. Right. Need to turn the, <laughs> pump that up a little. All right. Voters in California will decide on a measure in November which would legalize and tax marijuana. Amid the debate over the pros and cons of this is the environmental impact of pot cultivation. Illegal pesticide use and creek water diversion at large-scale outdoor operations are well documented. And as Lisa Morehouse reports, environmental concerns are also growing over indoor marijuana cultivation. One day two years ago, Larry Lancaster was called to the scene of an environmental disaster outside of Garberville in southern Humboldt County. A thousand gallons of diesel fuel, dyed a brilliant red, had spilled into a tributary of Salmon Creek. In a day or so, the whole creek was completely red, and it was very dramatic to stand in a creek bed and see the effects of that. The spill's origin, an indoor pot-growing operation so far out in the woods, it was powered by a diesel generator. Lancaster works for the Humboldt County Division of Environmental Health. Since 2001, his office has responded to violations at 50 diesel-powered indoor groves. Spills are only part of the problem. Diesel growers often use crude storage for waste motor oil and antifreeze and unsophisticated transportation systems for diesel such as pipes and fittings meant to carry water. Lancaster says hundreds or thousands of gallons of fuel can leak into the soil and into the water table. The damage has prompted an unusual publicity campaign. Growing indoors off the grid? Well, listen up. Activists in southern Humboldt are appealing to their neighbors to grow green. This is new for the region, where folks generally take a live-and-let-live attitude. Just growing nature's natural way, outdoors in the sun. 
grower Tim Blake remembers one reason people moved their operations indoors, when law enforcement started cracking down on outdoor growers in the region. About 20 years ago, when they decided they were going to really try to suppress the growing up here in this region, they brought in military people and they really kind of wiped out the area at that time. Many growers responded by going indoors, and they quickly realized they could cultivate marijuana year-round. That's when the environmental damage started to add up. But diesel grow operations aren't the only ones that raise environmental questions. So these are the mother plants, and they're the beginning of the cycle. At the Humboldt Patient Resource Center, a medical marijuana dispensary in Arcata, director Mary Ellen Jerkovich points to a few of several hundred marijuana plants growing near a huge fan. All of our medicine is, is grown here on site, and it's all organic. So we don't use any toxic chemicals for people or the environment. But grown indoors, this crop needs electricity and lots of it. Some lights here run 18 hours a day. With fans, dehumidifiers, and security cameras, the electricity bill comes out to $4,500 a month, more than rent. Indoor grows use an enormous amount of electricity and put an enormous amount of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. Peter Lehman directs the Schatz Energy Research Center at Humboldt State University. He says 14 years ago, Humboldt County's energy demands were like anywhere else in the state. But then California voters passed Proposition 215, authorizing pot growing for medicinal uses. That's when our electricity use in Humboldt County started diverging from the state per capita average. He says some indoor grows use 20 times the electricity of an average household. Lehman and a colleague found that Humboldt County residents use 25% more electricity per capita than the average Californian. That's like every person in the county having a personal, full-sized refrigerator. It's disturbing. We build power plants. We burn fuel. We block rivers with dams. Why? To make electricity. To use it to grow a plant indoors is a little uh, galling. What effect would legalization have on indoor growing? These scientists aren't speculating. But many growers believe that the price of pot would plummet. And with the high cost of electricity and diesel fuel, that may force some growers to revert to more natural methods. For NPR News, I'm Lisa Morehouse. Okay. So, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, they're ultimately right once it becomes legal as the price continues to plummet, which it has. Currently, there's already people getting out of it because they're not efficient enough at doing indoor to, to grow, to keep keep up with the price changes and stuff. But it's still very profitable. Um, but, yeah, I, I would I would imagine that, that in the future, um, as it's more legal and price drops more, we'll have more and more outdoor and more and more greenhouse weed. And, and you know, what's funny is, is I'll talk to growers and I'll talk to, to patients and, and pot consumers, and they'll be like, see, that means the quality will go down. And, again, they're under the assumption that, that indoor is better. Indoor is more safe. So you don't get caught as easily with indoor is the reason why we grow indoor. Um, and, yeah, you know, those the, the diesel generators. The, the diesel grows uh, definitely are a huge environmental problem. Uh, even our smaller indoor grow, residential indoor grows that are hooked to the grid use a lot of ec- electricity. Would like to point out that I believe in comparison to a lot of other manufactured products, though it's it's pretty um, like it, it, it lines up with how much energy it takes to make you know any other product that has to be manufactured. 
But um, and then there's another issue like the the damn electric companies are raping the customers in this area. So people that do do this pay an extremely high cost for electricity. Um, when like someone manufactures a product, they get industrial electri- electrical rates, and they use tons of electricity at a much lower price. So there's a whole bunch of different issues in this. Uh, and then you even look at like the, the throwing away of products, like getting rid of the bulbs that people use indoors. Like um, Some people don't throw them away properly, and that's a huge issue. And then even when you do dispose of them properly to someone that's going to recycle them. How efficient is that? What's the process? What are they doing? Um, there's so many environmental issues when it comes to indoor growing. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's not even, it's, it's a really big, big research topic. I'm sure someone will cover it much more in depth than NPR just did. That just skims the surface of it. But, uh, as we move forward, you know, they're, they're right. Inevitably, we'll have more greenhouse and more outdoor herb, and it'll be just as good. Yeah, and it'll be welcomed. It might be better. It yeah, might I think be. so. It might be better. You know, like I said before, the best stuff I see all year is outdoor weed. So, um, mm. you know, um, we'll see how it goes. We'll see yeah. how it goes, man. Yeah. Yeah, it goes. Well, you know, here at uh, Cannabis Agenda, we like to forward information that's beneficial to people as much as we can. Um, there are a couple quick uh, mentions I want to make um, in, in that regard. Um, first of all, there's an excellent source for peer reviewed science based information about cannabis and its constituents. Um, it's called, it's the, this website or the organizations um, that, that sponsors the website. It's called the International Association for Cannabinoid Medicines. And you can get them at uh, cannabis-med.org. So I would encourage everybody to go check that out. Additionally, um, coming what out of that? California. So it has like a bunch of links to scientific uh, um, peer-reviewed yeah, information? This is a credible, peer-reviewed, uh, science-based uh, information database, basically. I mean, they, it's an international association. Um, there's people from all over the, the globe that are doing uh, um, focused research on, cannab- on a cannabis and its uh, and can- cannabinoids and its constituents, other constituents of the plant, and uh, they're publishing in their findings. And um, they have a newsletter as well that um, will update you. They feature a lot of stuff that's happening in the U.S. Um, so I think it's a, it's a good site to, to check out for sure. Um, additionally, coming out of uh, Sacramento, this is, uh, there's a community health forum that they had. And I checked it out. Um, you can go to, let me see here. It's uh, presented by Capital Public Radio and the Sacramento Bee, the newspaper there in Sacramento. Um, and it featured a panel of experts discussing medical, legal, and community impact of medical cannabis. And it was hosted by Jeffrey Callison, who, uh, who moderated it. And uh, there was a, a Bee reporter, Peter Heck joined the panel of experts. I think they had a police chief and there's a bunch of uh, people that ran some very successful dispensaries that were on there and uh, they answered some pretty good questions. Um, it was, uh, I don't know, a little like around an hour long. There's a couple of them on there that you can download uh, the podcast that they made of these things. Go to uh, secondopinions.org and check that out. I just kind of search around a little bit. You'll find some stuff that's uh, medical cannabis related. Uh, I downloaded it just out of curiosity and I was really impressed. It was, it was interesting to, uh, to hear their conversation. I think it was a relevant conversation they were having. 
Um, so there's that stuff. Um, well, that's, uh, that's almost all I got. Just one, one additional thing I wanted to mention. Um, you know, we aggregate our news here on Cannabis Agenda um, from various credible sources. And uh, I, I went to uh, I frequently visit CannabisNews.org. There's actually two Cannabis News websites, so it can be kind of confusing. There's CannabisNews.com and there's CannabisNews.org, both of which I highly recommend, by the way. But I was on, I happened to be on CannabisNews.org, and I noticed they, they often have these uh, interesting polls polls that they run they're really not that you know world changing or anything but uh they're kind of kind of interesting and fun to take sometimes and uh the the poll that's up there right now you can actually check it out on cannabis at cannabisnews.org uh, um and I'll I'll read it for you guys actually you can take the poll now um which state is most likely to have legal cannabis by the end of 2012 and here's the list Michigan Colorado California Utah, Montana, Arizona, or no state will be legal. Hmm. I would, I would choose California. So I go. With. Yeah, how about Cogsy there? Yeah, no, I'd think? go to California too. Yeah, I'll absolutely. tell you, I'll yes. tell you why I'd choose California. One, because it looks like we may pass it in November. Yeah, Two, that's a safe bet. Two, and yeah. even if we don't pass it in November, our legislators are seriously considering legalizing it without us passing a voter initiative. So, um, it, it's also pot. None might be the safest bet. Right. I bet that that's a, that's, you know, considering our well, long history of pot prohibition, that would probably actually be the safest bet. But, vote for California, uh, you, just uh, out of hope though. Um, I'd guess California would be the first, uh, simply because, I know by 2012, we'll probably have two shots at legalizing it through voters. We'll probably do it this year. And if it doesn't pass, I mean, we are doing it this year. If it doesn't pass, I imagine it'll get on the ballot again for 2012, um, which may have been the safer bet anyway. We may want it on the ballot in a presidential election year. That's when you have the youngest voter turnout. And I, I would guess that, that in a younger younger voter turnout, we'd have more likelihood of legalizing cannabis. Um, also in California, though, the legisla- legislators are seriously considering legalizing it without a voter initiative. And, um, yeah, and then, I, I, but is, is you know, like you're, you know, you're hinting, Matt, maybe none would be the right answer, you know, obviously mm-hmm. due to our long history of pot prohibition. But let's let's look at it a little bit ambitiously. We do have a lot of opportunities to do it before 2012. This is going to be the most active little period in history of different states going for it. You know, Absolutely. so so maybe yeah. the answer is Detroit, <laughs> which yeah. isn't on the. Well, hey, you know what? You guys are are really actually pretty good. Um, I'm amazed. A little over, you know, a couple hundred people have taken the poll so far, and uh, so far the results read uh, California 75 percent. Um, and yeah. the second, the distant second at 10% of the votes was no state will be legal. And then it goes down the list from Colorado, Michigan, Arizona, Montana. There's two things that really get me. Oh, this is funny. I thought this was probably, I don't know if this was somebody that was uh, kind of high and making a joke or maybe a hopeful person from Utah voted yes for Utah. So <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm reasonably certain that Utah will be somehow in a coalition with uh, Oklahoma and forming a militia to, you know, make a public statement that after you remove their dusty corpse, that's when medical cannabis will be, any sort of cannabis will be illegal or remotely accepted in those states. No, so, you uh, know what they smoke in Oklahoma? They smoke God's pussy. 
Ah, rock. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of fans from Oklahoma. I can feel them coming. This is but, you know, the, the, the biggest thing about this poll I noticed, uh, very conspicuously missing, was guess what state? Uh, Nevada. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. They're, they're going to have it on their ballot again in 2012 as well. Not only do they have this initiative, and it will be on the November 2012 ballot, which falls well before the end of 2012, but Nevadans for Sensible Marijuana Laws is sponsoring this initiative. It'll appear on the ballot, um, as I said, November of 2012. The It's MPP-backed and ran. I mean, they've been doing this thing pretty successfully, and they've polled yeah. with winning polls, yeah. and then they played this. John Walters actually got sued by MPP, which is in the bureaucracy. It'll go on forever, you know, and get nowhere probably. But And they knew that. But uh, he, he flies in just right at the last minute and exploits this horrible – it was an actually atrocious car accident. And uh, the girl that was um, blamed for causing it had cannabinoids in her system. So they blamed that all on you know how that rolls. Yeah, well, you know what? That's the, the, the problem in Nevada. This is going to be their third attempt in Nevada. The problem mm-hmm. in Nevada is, is they have not used the safer mantra. They did not go out of their way to prove the safer, the issues that we've presented time and time again in this show uh, regarding the safer um, and pr- trying to prove that marijuana is safer than alcohol. Um, uh, this go-around, I believe that MPP is going to be working very close with safer in Nevada and they will be pushing the safer agenda and the safer prop you know the the political positions of safer um, to try and tilt it just towards you know in favor of legalizing and I imagine that they'll get closer than ever you know um, I would hope so, so. They sh- they're the, trying to the iron pa- out the problems that they've experienced in the past you know and make the adjustments that they need and you know what I mean yeah Nevada Nevada you know has been one of the states on the forefront of legalizing a lot of things um, that other states uh, don't want to so in the past I always assumed the last two times oh sure Nevada will be the first ones to legalize pot well, that kind of makes sense you know they legalize gambling and prostitution before other places, and I really don't even like comparing gambling and prostitution with marijuana um, because I, I believe marijuana is probably safer for society than both of those things. But, um, you know, it just seems to fa- kind of fall in line with what, what Nevada is about, and, and perhaps someday Sin City will be Pot City. You know, it's possible. So I'll be visiting for sure. Um, oh, yeah. To read- you can read more uh, about that law proposed uh, or the law proposed in this uh, initiative, uh, which is called an act to establish a regulated system of marijuana distribution for adults in Nevada. Good grief. Who Jeez, names these things? You can catch that at uh, um, Nevadans for Sensible Marijuana Laws uh, website. That's uh, sensiblemarijuanalaws.org. Awesome. Dude, it's time to move right, on friend. to your super crystally funky dank nugget of the day. Um, awesome. And we, Featuring we've Pot got, Green. What do you have yeah, for us, Mr. Green? We got a huge one. Matt and I went down last week. To, so we've been talking for a long time about two different issues on this show uh, that kind of go together. We've been talking about legalization in California, and we've been talking about the, the, medical, the medical marijuana scene in Los Angeles and how it's changing and how the ordinances are affecting it and everything. So we decided to go on down, Matt and I, just to L.A. and check it out and kind of get an um, idea as to uh, what the scene was like down in L.A. And it was interesting, wouldn't you say, Matt? Yeah, I had a great time. It was a learning experience. 
it was a learning experience. We talked to nearly a hundred different clubs, visited probably 30 clubs. Yeah. Uh-huh. Between the two of us. Absolutely. And, um, it was, uh, uh, what we've, okay. So what's going on in Los Angeles for any of you that are just tuning in that, you know, haven't listened to any of the past episodes or anything is, you know, we have, uh, prop 215 in California that allows us to use marijuana medicinally. And in, um, in Los Angeles, um, up until 2007, the city was granting, um, permits to sell cannabis for collectives. So they were allowing dispensaries. Then in 2000, early 2007, they put a moratorium on clubs and said, we're not giving out any more, um, any more, you know, licenses to people that want to sell marijuana. We have plenty for now. We need to figure out how to regulate this. Well, the funny thing about putting that moratorium on is that's when the boom actually began. And people started opening clubs up all over Los Angeles. We've ended up with over, over a thousand um, there, clubs. There, at one time, there were, I don't know if there still are, more clubs right, 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 than right. there, but there got, were Starbucks or McDonald's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At its height, it got to over a thousand clubs. And then, so, but what these clubs, so the thing is, is how did these clubs become, you know, how did they open up operations if they couldn't get permits? Well, they bought permits in tobacco retailing and in herbal retailing. So they didn't get like medical cannabis licenses. They got basically licenses to do something else that they're not doing. So uh, they're kind of operating illegally. Okay. So that being said, over the last year, the city of Los Angeles uh, created and passed an ordinance which uh, outlined all the zoning guidelines, and it it didn't necessarily give like a grandfather clause, or it didn't grandfather in any of the ones that opened before 2007. What it did was, is it said anyone that's operating with a cannabis retailer's license, which are the ones that operated pre-2007 can potentially exist after this ordinance goes into place. They will have six months from the date that it starts, which was sometime this month, to find a new location that fits within the zoning guidelines. So for all of these clubs that can exist because they have the proper licenses, if they're not in the right zone, they have to move their business, okay? And there's issues with that. Um, and then they want anyone that's opened without a cannabis retailer's license to close. And hundreds of them have closed, while hundreds of them are remaining open. Some of them try to look like they're closed, but they're still kind of open. Um, and uh, for the ones that have the licenses but need to change locations, in Los Angeles, what you're talking about, it's like, oh, great, you know, they'll, they'll be able to, at least they'll be able to exist. If you have to move your business in Los Angeles, that means you have to get an entirely new customer base. Because essentially in L.A., why does the local pot shop thrive? Not because it's awesome, not because it's clean, not because it's professional or it has the best medicine, but because you have to spend the least amount of time in traffic getting there. Simply, that's it. That's the main reason why all these little corner pot stores exist in L.A., because people don't want to get on the freeway. So the neighborhood pot shop essentially won't exist, and you will have to drive in L.A. just like you have to do for almost anything else. So I guess you guys are going to have to get used to that again down in L.A. Um, here is what we learned down there, though. We learned that the ordinance essentially is kind of seems to be like making it a little bit more 
violent, a little bit more gang-related again. Shady business can come through. We're seeing this down there. We saw a lot of places that were kind of hole in the wall, kind of felt mafia ran, kind of felt, you know, not safe. Um, it seemed to be that maybe this ordinance is taking things back underground a little bit again. So, um, Jamie, in the past we've talked about how things can go backwards. Things kind of seem to be going backwards in Los Angeles again. Uh, It'll probably all work its way out in the future, but there is a bunch of shady business going on down there. There were three murders in Los Angeles uh, while we were down there, uh, one of which occurred in Echo Park in a in a club called the higher path, uh, which the crazy part about this is, is it happened on a day when Matt and I were out making contact with random clubs and visiting random clubs. And I believe I was in echo park on that Thursday. I did not stop at that club, but man, we could have been inside of that shop. It's totally possible. Doesn't that freak you out, Matt? Yeah, it does. I've thought about that myself. And and um, Just being so, at the wrong place at the wrong time is what happened to those those poor people. Yeah, the, 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 and okay, so the higher path is in the Echo Park. It's a really rough neighborhood. The square one square mile radius around this club has had fifty seven homicides in the last year. So you can't blame this all on pot. It's just a bad neighborhood, right? So currently, people rob pot shops because it's kind of illegal, and people don't really like. I mean, the cops aren't, like, protecting them fully. The five armed guys went into this place, shot the guard, killed him, and then shot the bud tender and killed him. So, yeah, there was, uh, was, you know, there was, um, there are two murders at the Higher Path, which is a um, really bad neighborhood. There's been, like, 57 homicides in that square mile radius over the last, since the beginning of this year. So it's just a tough, rough, shitty neighborhood, right? Yeah, it's not all pot that creates murder there. Like that's, Matt, what did you boil that down to? That's one murder in that square mile every per, six days uh-huh, or something? Yeah, something like that, more than one a week. More than one a week. Um, so you can't blame all that violence on pot, although once the you know, propaganda starts flowing over the November ballot issue. I'm sure they're going to be pointing towards that is reason why marijuana shouldn't be legal. But I now am 100% sure that I'm voting yes in November because of things like that. Because as long as we have large stacks of cash and a fucking you know, cubic foot's right. worth of material that's worth thousands of dollars, we're going to have a lot of violence over it. Don't you guys think? It's- Absolutely. You doubt. know, so after seeing this and hearing of these murders and feeling like, wow, I could have been caught up in those places at that time. I just feel like it's time to, regardless of how hard it's going to be for people in the industry already, it's time to move on. It's time to move this into a legal business setting. Because, uh, Matt, we were talking about it. You can go to the mall. And in the mall, there are jewelry stores with thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars worth of diamonds right there. No security, like standing around with guns protecting it. They probably do get robbed occasionally, but it's just a legal business where most of the business, like, they, you, you don't go in there thinking, oh, it's all cash in here. You know what I mean? It's like people do things with their debit cards and their credit cards and wire transfers and they write checks and, and until like marijuana like moves into that stratosphere, we're going to have a lot of violence related to it. And, and the violence related to this is just one thing I cannot deal with. I can't deal with the fact that like, you know, from what do we want? Do we want 
do we want corporate thugs or do we want mobsters running running this business? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the 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 the, the decision where we're kind of put between and it's somewhat of a moral dilemma, but I don't know. I kind of here. I may be selling out here. Sorry to my mobster friends, but, um, you know, like, uh, I don't know. I I kind of feel like it'll be a lot safer in a more corporate setting than it is in the current setting. Los Angeles was a wild scene, man. It felt violent. Mm -hmm. It felt scary. It felt gang related. It felt mafia ran. Um, and, uh, I I think it's time to make the change with that. Can I interject a comment on that? Because sure. I think that's I think that it's one sided. Well, uh, I guess uh, it, it's beneficial more so on one side than the other. You said, do we want thugs, or corporate thugs, or like mob thugs? Well, the, the problem now is it, we have mob thugs and corporate thugs against us with the illegality. Where otherwise, I think that it would drop off a lot of the mob thugs, and we just have the corporate thugs. Totally. And that's what we have, like in the current, you mean, so the current medical marijuana economy in California has both. Is that what you're saying? It has like, right. yeah. And yeah. legalization efforts in general have both against them. Right. Oh, and against them. Yes, it's true because mm-hmm. yeah, because yeah. Right. But, um, but with legalization, obviously corporations will come in and start running this a lot more, you know? Um, but I don't know. I just, feel like that's safer for people and will probably yeah, be more professional absolutely. and it'll be like a more of like a regular business and it won't feel like you know mm-hmm. tony on the corner is gonna you know bust a cap in you if you don't shop at his pot shop you know what i mean like i don't know like if you're from the neighborhood man and you're not at our shop we see you at another shop you know like you know, we're going to get you, you know, like that. I don't know, dude. It just, it felt wrong. Would love to hear some comments from some listeners. If we have any listeners in Los Angeles, I know that you guys are hurting. I know that it sucks for you to have to potentially drive, you know, an hour and a half in traffic to get your herbs. That sucks. But, um, man, there's definitely got to be some changes. Los Angeles is in the Frickin' dark ages in comparison to the Bay Area. The Bay Area regulated their dispensary system from the beginning. It's so much more professional. It's so much more clean. It's so much friendlier and ran more, you know, like ran more efficiently. You walk in there and it feel, in most spots, it feels pro. You go into a place in LA and there's dim light and it's in a you know, and the neighborhood feels unsafe and they don't even really have proper security at these places in Los Angeles and Los Angeles is a violent, violent place. And they're not securing these places. There's just, it's just time for some changes. And, and I don't know, personally, I feel like legalization will uh, help bring about um, some of those positive changes for cannabis and it'll, right. it'll keep the, it'll bring down the cash. People will be willing to work with like, without cash. Like I know that there's like, I, I talked to a lot of people who are like, they hate their debit card. They hate their credit card. They hate this. You know what though? Not having those things have increased in virtual crime, like identity theft and stuff, but the violence related to like muggings and things like that, where people used to always be walking around with, you know, gobs of cash and stuff have had to have declined. Um, you know, nowadays, you use your ATM card, and and uh, if 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 you're uh, uh, you know a marijuana distribution company in the future, you may be getting your stuff prepaid, dropped right into your account. You won't have to transport 
fucking boxes full of money to anywhere anymore, you know? And like, just, I just think all in all, it'll end up being safer and better for, for everybody. So good. And maybe alleviate a lot of those risks, you know, uh, a huge organization, the NAACP of California, which is, um, what, no, regardless of how you feel about, you know, their efforts or what they do, they are very powerful, um, organization in California, a very large one as well. And they have now officially backed the initiative, um, uh, by they, they, they've, uh, made statement, uh, a statement that it was due to their belief that, um, the, the war against cannabis is largely or very disproportionately centered around, uh, African-Americans. So, um, that's, uh, regardless of their motives where it's great to have powerful organizations behind the, this initiative. Yeah, that's huge. Um, and, uh, mm. that's kind of where it's going. Matt, you got any extra feelings on what we experienced down there? Anything you'd like to share? Um, no, <laughs> sorry, uh, Matt. <laughs> Matt, that's, that's, uh, that's, a, there's your, there's our exciting engineer right there, Matt. Take it in. Um, uh, no, uh, I'm busy smoking a joint. Um, leave me alone. I'm too stoned to talk about Los Angeles. But we'll be back. We'll be searching more through Los Angeles, getting more information. We'll be checking out a lot of the other areas throughout the state, comparing, contrasting. So far, my biggest place is to compare the Bay Area in general and the Los Angeles area. And man, the Bay Area is doing it right. So kudos to awesome. them for getting it right mm-hmm. from the beginning. And um, I don't know. Hopefully, LA. Hopefully, LA can find a way to to deal with this peacefully and make it more safe for uh, for people to get the access they need to cannabis. So um, right. that's the that's the agenda for today. Please uh, email us with any of your thoughts, comments, questions, anything um, at uh, cannabisagenda at gmail dot com uh, or the other one I believe is info at cannabisagenda.com. Um, if we mention you on the air, you will get a free copy of uh, Propaganda um, DVD, Reefer Madness. Uh, we're giving a bunch of those away, so please hit us up. You can give us a call and leave comments at 707-654-CAN-C-A-N-N. Um, if uh, we play you on the air, you'll also get a, a copy of Reefer Madness. Um, you can check out our website at cannabisagenda.com. You can listen mm-hmm. directly to our shows from that site, or you can subscribe to us on iTunes and uh, have them downloaded whenever they're uploaded onto iTunes so that, so that you can stay fresh every time that one of our shows come out. Um, you can Absolutely. catch us on Twitter. We're all on Twitter as individuals, and the Canvas Agenda is on Twitter as well. Uh, and we mm-hmm. do have a Facebook page, which we would like people to join and start the discussion on the page there so that uh, we can kind of create a online community and um you know start uh interacting that way this show is you can about like what, us yeah totally you can like us you can be fans please um, like us you can please hate us too there may be people cool. listening to us that hate us i mean you know we're i listen to rush that, limbaugh every once in a while so you know um and if you're out there and you're hating on us but you're listening i think all in all that's a good thing um yep. and we, you know we're we're, we're uh we would like to hear from you as well. Um, so yeah, check us out in, in one of those one of those ways. And uh, remember that this show is about you. Um, that we're here to uh, to try and talk about things that are relevant to you. So it will help us know what those things are. Um, until next time, guys. Uh, peace and pot. You know, earlier in, uh, in the beginning of the show, I mentioned uh, uh, an interesting white paper I suggest people read called Overkill, uh, The Rise of Paramilitary Raids in America, Police Raids in America, um, by Radley Balco. 
And uh, just so you know, Radley Balco is the senior editor at Reason Magazine. He's been a policy analyst at Cato Institute, specializes in civil liberties. Uh, he's published papers on alcohol policy and a groundbreaking study that um, I referred you to on paramilitary police raids. Um, he's been published in so many major media outlets, the Wall Street Journal, Playboy Time, the Washington Post. It goes on and on. He's also appeared on BBC, CNN, CNBC, News Channel. That list is extensive as well. His Belko's work on paramilitary raids and the overuse of SWAT teams was featured by John Tierney in the New York Times, and he's been praised by outlets ranging from human events to the daily costs and was cited by Supreme Court Justice Stephen Byers' dissent in a case, Hudson versus Michigan. And uh, we're going to lead out here with a video, uh, some sound bits from Radley Balco. This is Radley on John's Dossal program. Um, so until Thanks, next Jamie. time, you betcha. You betcha. I just oh, yeah. wanted to, I know this guy just kind of showed up on the radar and people are going, who's Radley? Who? What's, what is that? So that's who the guy is. He's a credible guy. Um, we're not going to try to feed you anything here that's just some Joe Schmo off the street that, you know, nobody knows with no credibility. Um, so as, cool. as you were saying, Mr. Potgreen. Peace and pot. Until next time, people. We'll uh, see you later. Check out the clip after the, after the exit here. Peace. Take care, all. Agenda, your weekly source for cannabis-related news and informed discussion. We podcast for an hour every Monday covering topics related to cannabis legalization, medical marijuana, and market-related information. You can follow online with us at CannabisAgenda.com. The police are about to break into a house in Columbia, Missouri. They believe there's a large supply of marijuana here. Inside, a couple is putting their seven-year-old son to bed. They kill one of the family dogs, injure the other. They didn't find that large supply of marijuana. They just found a little, so they levied a $300 fine and charged the father with child endangerment. They never apologized for killing the family dog. They wouldn't even say, sorry. Every indicator to me shows that this was a justifiable shooting. Uh, the dog was aggressive and the dog got shot. Now, I was stunned to learn that SWAT team raids like that are not unusual anymore. They now happen every day in America. In fact, more than a hundred occur every day. Radley Balco of Reason Magazine opened my eyes to that raid and to a raid on this man's home, Shai Calvo. Two years ago, cops burst into his home in Maryland and shot his two dogs. And this was because FedEx had delivered a package with marijuana? Exactly. And the police, when they burst into our home, had done so little investigation, they didn't even know I was the mayor of the town. You were the mayor of the town. Uh, it, it wasn't your own police. It was, it was a county SWAT team, but they, the errant SWAT team burst in the door, rifles blazing. They shot our two dogs, Peyton and Chase, one from behind while he was running away. And um, they tore our house upside down in a four-hour nightmare. 
So this was a mistake. Well, it, when I, I remember distinctly as I kneeled there on the floor, bound, my own living room floor, at gunpoint, thinking it was a mistake. But as I looked into it further, I learned it's business as usual. They, to this day, say the guys did what they were supposed to do. Even though we were innocent, even though it made international headlines, it was an embarrassment for the county, they said it was the right thing to do. And, Radley, this has become business as usual in America. Yeah, I mean, the raid that we just saw on video in Columbia, Missouri, uh, you know, it went viral on the Internet, and there was a lot of anger directed at the Columbia Police Department. But this happens every day, and there was nothing unusual about that raid in Columbia, Missouri. Uh, they got a, a tip from an informant that there was marijuana. They brought the SWAT team early in the morning, uh, late at night. Uh, they, they bust down the door. Even shooting the dog uh, is pretty routine in these SWAT raids. And what's really rare about this is that the police release the video. They don't usually do that. Yeah, well, they're not even usually videotaped. Uh, I think they should all be videotaped so that we can, so there any, you know, uh, any disputes over what happened can be resolved. But also just because I think if, if we're going to continue to wage this war on drugs in our names, we should actually know what's happening on the ground. And I think that there was so much outrage that this video shows that people aren't really aware of what tactics are being used in this drug war. Now, in defense of the police, when they are going into what they are told is a drug house, for all they know, there'll be people with machine guns. They're scared on high alert. They feel they need to come in this way. Well, that's why it's important they actually do their homework first. I mean, SWAT raids should be the last resort, not the first resort. But increasingly, these are just, they're generally used just for regular search warrants. This is standard operating procedure in America, increasingly. And your town's police chief gave uh, this statement to the press. I never in my wildest dreams ever imagined when I thought about the crooks and the criminals that I would have to protect this community from, that I would have to protect them from my fellow police officers. And I think we should clarify, this was the police chief for the town that, that Mayor Calvo is the mayor of. The, Not the people who led the raid. Yeah, the, 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 the uh, sheriff who was in charge of the raid still to this day says he would not have done anything differently. Uh, and in fact, has, uh, I think he apologized uh, for, for you being innocent, but not for the tactics, not for shooting the dogs, you know, nothing else. And your answer to this is what? Well, look, uh, SWAT teams have an important purpose. Uh, they were originally designed uh, to respond to emergency situations, to defuse an already violent situation. But beginning in the, in the early, early 80s, they started being used more and more uh, for drug warrants, to serve uh, warrants on people who suspected of nonviolent consensual crimes. And there you're creating violence and confrontation where there was none before, and you get these very predictable and Why results. are they using them more? Uh, I think it's because of the rhetoric from politicians. Uh, look, when you uh, out, you're being tough on drugs. Yeah, we have to we have to treat drugs like a war, and we give these police officers military equipment, we give them military training, and then we tell them they're fighting a war. Uh, we w shouldn't be surprised then when we see sort of this battle imagery that we're seeing in a lot of these videos. Do you think drugs should be legal? I do. Shy. I think the current policy isn't working, and states should have some flexibility to try new things. States should ex be able to experiment. I think the federal role right now is a problem, and states want to try different things, and communities want to try different th things. I think it makes sense to allow them to do that. Thank you, 